0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the MA Mastermind podcast. This is your go to source for the latest industry trends and strategies to help you level up your MA practice. I am your host, as always, Nick Olson, uh, Managing Director of Cornerstone International Alliance. Uh, we are a consortium of lower middle market firms. And um, here on this podcast, we bring in, I'm lucky enough to bring in guests who are masters at their craft, who have a lot of experience and influence in the in the world of mergers and acquisitions and today's guest is no different. Um, I would like to welcome our guest today who is helps make possible one of the best databases in our industry. Um, we use it and it's it's phenomenal. Great reviews uh, from our group. Um, he grew up in a working family working in a family operated motel in coastal Massachusetts. Um He played, I think it's hilarious, he played college football for the team that was voted the worst team in the country by Sports Illustrated, um, started his career as a journalist covering dollars. private equity, and has worked for several other companies who were owned by private equity. Now, he actually works on the data side of private equity, definitely has some experience in that space. Please welcome my guest today, Um Bob Dunn with GF Data. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Nick. Thanks for having me on. I
1: appreciate it. And thanks for the nice introduction.
0: Tell me a little bit about this uh, worst football team. Um, why, how, is that, how does that even happen? So, uh,
1: yeah, it's always, it's it's a, it's an infamous one. Uh, so the Bowdoin College Polar Bears up in Brunswick, Maine. Uh, proud polar bear for, for four years there, played all four years, and Best record we had was a four and four, and little did we know that was going to be the best record since I graduated from there. So yeah, pretty pretty poor football. Better at lacrosse, better at hockey, but stuck with yeah. it. And you know, it's how you apply yourself. It's not how you do on the wins and losses, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. It's all about the journey.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. So yeah, it was a good time, a good experience, but a funny one too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, um, a little bit more about your background, and then. Um, Want to dive into and hear more about your platform, your company, GF Data, and what you provide um, our industry? Yeah, sure.
1: So, just a little bit of background on me. I um, actually, as we mentioned, started my career as a journalist covering private equity in the late '90s. Interesting period of time. We're still recovering from the SNL um, challenges coming out of the early '90s. Private equity is very much nascent. I think there were maybe eight people that were actually covering it at the time. You compare that to now where it's become very much, um, sort of a standard within culture and society. And you get a lot of coverage on it. Uh, if you saw a billion dollar deal, it was considered, a you know, you have a celebration about it. And everything it was very much mid market at that time. And so with this role, it's, it's fun to come back. It's a bit of a homecoming. I'm seeing a lot of the same people I started out with working at that time who've obviously progressed their careers. Um, very much senior now, but um, but it's fun to see the same faces. Um, after starting as a journalist of private equity, I um, switched over to the business side, started working in events, and then really fell in love with the data on it. So, um, I ended up running uh, Dow Jones Private Markets, which um, primary database is called Venture Source, tracked early stage investments in technology companies by venture capital groups. And then um, moved with narrative of running that business and um, then uh, switched over with Euromoney Institutional Investor, ran a couple of hedge fund products for them and a mandate database that went out to bulge Bracket Asset Managers looking at um, different um, parts of money that they could run. And, um, yeah, the last one uh, prior to GF Data was with a group called uh, With Intelligence, which actually has just gone through its second acquisition over the summer. Great company based out of London, uh, kind of has a lock in the hedge fund space now. And then the opportunity with GF came up, and it was a chance to go back to middle market private equity. And uh, again, to work with some really, really strong data in an area that I think really much, very much benefits from it. As you know, the mid-market doesn't have a lot of valuation info coming into it. So I feel like we provide a real service out there for our customers and take an opaque area and make it a little bit more clear for people. So that, that's really how I came by it. In terms of the product on it... Um, We collect data from a little over 300 private equity groups, um, predominantly funded sponsors, but we also have independent sponsors, family offices, and mezzanine uh, investment firms contributing to us. We collect about 30 data points on cash into transactions. Um, We take that data in. We uh, run quality assurance against it, and we anonymize all the information, and then Put it out onto our website, uh, which allows you to drill down by broad industry sector or all the way down to six-digit next codes. And um, also put about 14 reports a year. M&A report, a leverage report, four industry drill downs, and uh, deal terms reports twice a year. I really view our place as kind of being the, um, and this this often dates me also, but kind of the Kelly Blue Book for mid-market companies, where you can go in there, you can look based on the industry that you're in, the size of transaction. You can get an approximate valuation for what private equity is is uh, paying for those businesses and it provides a little bit of light in an area. There. Again, there's a lot of darkness around. So that's the goal behind it.
0: Okay. Um, appreciate that explanation. So you mentioned your, your, your reports, you do about 14 a year. Um, you do yep. a couple of different kinds of reports on the quarterly, the leverage, the, the industry. Yep. Like also a little bit more about those, if you don't mind. Yeah. So the M&A report is the flagship report that
1: comes out generally uh, six to seven weeks post end of quarter. Um, and that's that's what the business originally launched with in 2006. It's uh, predominantly focused upon valuations uh, for companies. We track companies valued with enterprise values between 10 million and 500 million, and we um, put a governor on the data that we take in. We look at transactions uh, above three times trailing 12-month EBITDA, and then below 18 times trailing 12-month EBITDA. The, the rationale for that is we're trying to avoid. Uh, contaminating the data with more distressed situations or more venture-type investments just because we really want to be focused on mid-market private equity. The transactions we look at are predominantly buyouts, but we also look at recapitalizations, um, leverage recaps, growth financing, anything where the value of the company changes. And again, we're only looking at this time on money into the companies. So the M&A report looks at uh, what private equity groups are paying on average across our size tiers, which there's five size tiers, 10 million to 25 million, 25 to 50, 50 to 100, 100 to 250, and then 250 to 500, which we've just added in the last year. Um, And uh, as mentioned before, we do a couple of cuts in the M&A report looking at various industries that we focus on. Um, and then also looking at the uh, buyer's transaction fees and a little bit at the debt markets, so but we we'll really reserve that for the leverage reports, which is the accompanying report with the MA report.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then how many, you know, how many transactions do you guys collect on a, you know, I guess overall and then maybe on a yearly basis. And and Yeah. What is your,
1: so we what have of um, of close to, yeah, close to 5,000 transactions in the database. And, um, Generally, we're at pace in a normal market uh, to record between 70 and 80 transactions a quarter. Uh, 2021 was a bit of an outlier. We had just over 500 transactions we recorded, and I think that's in line with most other people's experience during that period of time. It was a very busy period. Um, this year, we're definitely off that pace. So uh, we've, we've tallied through the end of the third quarter, 203 transactions, uh, which, again, if you compare it to the about 35% off of where we were if you analyze the number from 2021, and about 18% off where we are for 2022. So it's definitely a bit of a, a down period of time for the industry. I think the reasons for that are, are quite apparent. We're you know, coming out of COVID. Some of the challenges there with supply chain and employment are still very much front and center. Uh, now I have a couple of significant conflicts going on in the world, which I think um, throws a whole geopolitical situation into a bit of a, uh, challenging environment and, um, obviously impacts the business world. And, um, you know, the Fed rates increases, I think is the primary one that we're looking at here. It's really, it's a very atypical or at least compared to the last 20 years, an atypical period of time in terms of debt pricing. And I think the market's taking some time to adapt to that and figure out what that will do to the returns.
0: And I know we'll kind of dive a little bit more into the data. Um, and we're yep. here today to talk about your, your Q3 quarterly report, which is, um, You know, when this episode airs, just hot off the press. And so it's very timely. I appreciate you diving into this, but I just want to take one more question, step back. Um, The data you receive is from private equity firms. Um, Obviously, you know, privately held companies and, you know, what what they sell in their companies for is hard to come by. So you guys have really created a, a good opportunity to find information on these private transactions. So, what do you look for and how do you get these private equity firms to help you with this data sourcing?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a great question obviously because as you noted it it is called private equity and um and there's no real reason this info has to get out there. Um we like to think of it as a virtuous cycle with our contributors. All of our contributors are also customers, the firms that contribute to us receive a subsidized uh, subscription rate for the product. So everyone supplying the data is also a user of the data. And I think everyone supplying it also um, understands the utility of the data in terms of, you know, helping to make a market and bring buyer and seller closer together in their negotiations. So we believe that even though the data is submitted anonymously, um, I am able to ask questions back. Do we submitted the data? I just don't know who I'm asking the question to. We are able to do thorough QA on it. And I think we all of our contributors are also subscribers. There's a pretty good, um, Inherent trust system in there that, you know, you got to put good info in if you want to get good info out and that uh, you're using this information. So don't don't pollute the pool. Right. Um, But, yeah, primarily the the reason folks will uh, contribute to us is that they really value the data. It helps them when they're dealing with, um, you know, a a seller's representative or the seller themselves to kind of start the conversation off in a reasonable area. And um, and again, they get a discount for for providing that information. So good pro quo in that respect
0: how many firms are feeding you data right now uh 318 currently
1: so we're up about 60 from uh when acg acquired us so a nice nice increase there in terms of volume Uh, i do get the question sometimes what does that distort the information we have all the firms that join us um backfill for three years transactions coming in so when you look at the reports you will see deal totals changing in the past obviously that creates some challenges in terms of um uh compartmentalizing the data. But on the other hand, we believe that the having more deals is better than having fewer deals. So the backdating on it makes sure that we're comparing um comparable pools of contributors year to year and uh and then also growing just the number of transactions that are in there. So that's how we try to keep things uh like for like and efficient on it.
0: Yeah. I guess I didn't realize you back when you get a new firm on, you backdated that uh, three years. Yeah. So that's... It, I mean, it generally will take a,
1: a quarter or so for them to get everything in, but they are pretty diligent about it. And I would say just in terms of differentiation, you look at other um, data information providers out through the financial markets, and we very much view ourselves as uh, compatible with anyone else who's out there. We feel like we're providing a service that they're really not as much. Um, we don't get many NAs, any really, uh, in terms of the data fields that we're asking questions on. So. If you've had experiences with other products at times, you go in and say, oh, that field's there, but then, you know, the data isn't available for that field. That's something we very much try and avoid. And, again, just because of the challenges for providing us, we um, we feel that most of our the other folks out there that are great providing data to the market, they really don't capture this information. In the same way that we don't capture who's buying who or how many transactions a firm has done in a given year, uh, we're really focused on the valuation side and the um, – the analysis of the, the average deal out there, not a specific transaction. So I think, you know, complementary resources, we're doing two different things in the market and have that less respect for them. But I think when you look at what we're supplying, you're not generally gonna find it from too many other people out there.
0: And you guys set the minimum threshold for ten million um on on your deal size that you're you're reporting out on. I guess um kind of take us through why uh, why why is that the, the minimum. Yeah, I mean I think
1: originally that was I think you get a lot more structure in the marketplace when you get above $10 million. When you're below $10 million, there tends to be, you know, it, 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 it's not real clear. Um, I think valuations tend to ping pong around there depending on the application of the business. Is it an add-on for a company that really needs that type of acquisition? Or is it more, you know, a business broker type transaction where, you know, the company may sell, but there's not actual pressure on it. They're kind of just looking for the best opportunity. So there's more variation at that size. I'm happy to say that we are going to be launching over the next two quarters a uh, complimentary product that will be both going into the GF data's main product, but then also available separately that we'll just be looking at 10 mil- 1 million to 10 million transactions in enterprise value, uh, as well as 25 to 50 million, or sorry, 10 to 25 million, uh, to be able to look at the smaller market and provide some understanding of how you can step up with a growth strategy if you make it to a higher tier in pricing. So originally, I think we avoided it just to try and again, be focused on like for like and look at the transactions where there was more kind of a structure based on size. But I think there's definitely need for the smaller part of the market, the one to 10, and we'd like to accommodate that need. So look for that in the next couple of quarters.
0: Man, I'm learning all these great things about your platform that I didn't know about. We've been <laughs> using it for <laughs> over five years. So I'm learning right with you, with you all. Um, and so you mentioned, um, you know, add ons are, do you guys ask the question from these private equity firms if the deals that they're doing are platforms or add-ons, or is that not really really, yep. come into play here? Yeah, we do,
1: we do break them out as two separate categories, um, and you'll be able to do more of this actually on the website. Right now, um, our website's a little bit limited in terms of functionality. We're doing some redevelopment on it that will allow you to not just see um, averages in there, but also look at top quartile, bottom quartile, median, and we'll also be adding in um, all the data points we collect. Right now, we just have a sampling of about 10 of the 30 data points we collect. So look for a better experience there. Um, And yeah, in the reports, there's a whole lot of ways to slice the data, which we provide. One of them is between add-ons and platforms. We do ask about that. We do present the data separately, um, just because there's obviously differences in the way one is financed. and, uh, and also just the, the uh, incidents in the market, obviously, add-ons far more prevalent. That's also one of the reasons we're looking to add the $1 to $10 million category because we believe we're missing a lot of add-ons from our existing contributors uh, just because they fall below that threshold. But current market, you're definitely seeing more add-on activity, and that is something that we're tracking.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so let's dive in kind of the current state of the market. You know, in your reports, yeah. so you guys are, like I said, just launching your Q3 report. Um, so take us through and, and if you, if you guys get a chance to see the report, you know, obviously the way it's laid out, will make a lot of sense after listening to this conversation, but, um, you start with a, with a a valuation overview and what the state of the, or what happened in Q3, why don't you take us over an overview of of what that valuation overview looks like, um, from Q3. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So let's just, um, kind of back up and give you a breakdown on, um, year to date 2003 through the first 12 I say through the first half of the year um, it's definitely a challenged environment the second quarter we saw valuations dip um, down to 6.7 times trailing 12 month EBITDA across the 10 million to 500 million enterprise value so across the entire cohort. most of the challenges we've seen on valuation have come from the smaller end of the bin market so that 10 to 25 million uh, was down for to the second quarter at 5.2 times drilling twelve month EBITDA versus 6.1 times trailing uh, twelve month EBITDA in quarter one. I guess looking at the third quarter, and then then the other factor on it, as mentioned before, deal volume is just way down right now. In comparison, obviously, 2021 was a uh, you know banner year, really unparalleled from what I was seeing in terms of deal volume. I think that's influencing our perception a bit on this year. But again, I think. 2022 is a more standard year. We're still off of that from what we've tracked. And that seems to um, track in line with PitchBook and CapIQ with what they're reporting about mid-market deal volume. Um, So, yeah, challenging market coming into it. For Q3, I'm actually a bit more optimistic. We still have limited deal volume. We track 55 transactions. So, again, that's quite a bit off of the 70-80 that we, we normally look for in the average quarter. Um, But we saw a rebound in valuation. So third quarter average valuation was up 7.5 times, it's really 12 months compared to 6.7 times in the second quarter. Second quarter was very much, uh, I think, the bottom. Um, The companies that you saw there, I think many of them had had prolonged processes, maybe didn't hit the numbers they were looking for in the negotiations. Um, Deals were taking a longer time. And um, didn't see too many bright spots in terms of what happened in the second quarter. It was just kind of depressed valuations all around. The reason for optimism coming on the third quarter, you still have depressed deal volume, uh, recorded 55 transactions total, which is off the base of the 70 to 80 that we'd normally look for in a quarter. But we did see, um, again, kind of what you want to see with uh, – Valuations high at both ends, so definitely some transactions that were still a little more troubled in terms of valuation, but starting to see some higher valuations for companies in there than you saw in the second quarter. Um, So overall, I feel like the market's improving. It's a big challenge right now, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is the, uh, the debt markets and kind of figuring out what to do with a market where senior debt pricing is rising very, very rapidly, continues to rise. Um, And how do uh, you take that into account with your return expectations from private equity and at the same time get some of the uh, committed capital out the door? Because that's really the name of the game with the groups we're dealing with. Most 60 to 70 percent of the groups we're dealing with have funds that they've raised. They need to invest that fund in a timely fashion. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, the the slow period can only go on for so long before that money starts to back up and really needs to be forced out the door. So, I think it's a question of timing on that, and um I think we can get some stability in the uh, leverage rates, and it looks like we're coming into an environment where there might have some pauses in terms of um what the fed's doing. I think that will improve the market that will get deal volume up a bit and get people a bit more comfortable with where we are
0: uh timing on that deal volume going up and and I'm just you know- rem- um back That's to the, you know, the <laughs> number of deal volume that happened over the last you know you know this this year. It looks like it's you said Q1 was I, th- I think it was around eighty four and then Q2 was a little less Q3. Yeah. Um, when you, you you think we're kind of seeing that trend starting to dip back up? Um, and I think you I, mentioned before Q2 was kind of you think the down you know the, the, the down most down it's been. It yeah. will be.
1: I think I think Q2 is market bottom, but the question is how long does the recovery take on it? I am you know cognizant of the fact that people were saying in. March, that hey, you know, working on a bunch of stuff, it's going to be out by Memorial Day, and then it said, No, it'll be the 4th of July, and then it became Labor Day. And uh, so now, now it's really we're here in Q1. I think, I do think we've seen the bottom in Q2. Things will improve, the deal volume will start to improve. I don't think it'll be quick though. I think, really, I think you're going to see an inflection point. Um, definitely in the second quarter of next year, you'll see deal volume back up to where we would expect it to be. Um, possibly higher than that. Again, I think once things start to take off, you'll get uh, just a little bit like you see the penguins waiting to jump into the water, and they're all kind of crowded around the edge, and then one jumps, and then everyone goes. So I think I think yeah. there will be someone who kind of breaks the dam in it. In terms, particularly again with private equity transactions that we're we're looking at, I think most of your audience is aware though, but. Um, you, know, you raise a fund for private equity, you got committed capital there. The expectation with your limited partners is that you're going to invest that money, and that needs to be done in generally a, a three- to maybe five-year period. Realistically, with the way fundraising goes now, it's really a three-year period. We've mm-hmm. had now um, really, I think, almost a 12-month period with uh, limited activity. That that capital starts to build up and needs to go someplace. I think mm-hmm. people wanted to be cautioned. We've been seeing you know, interest rates raising rising by percentage point for a quarter for senior debt, more than that in some cases. So I think um, there's a little bit of not wanting to catch, catch the falling knife. But um, once you get stability there, the money really has to be invested. So I think the activity will pick up markedly. But I don't think that'll be happening probably until the second quarter that you'll really notice it.
0: hmm. Yeah, I've talked to a, a couple of private equity people recently, too, and it's, it's like there's you know, cautiously optimistic, cautiously optimistic for the first part of yeah. you know, 24. Um, do have capital to deploy? That's definitely out there. And so hopefully for, yep. for us as M&A advisors that uh, comes to fruition too. So we can, we can continue to, to, you know, take these deals that may have been delayed or, or pushed back and kind of yep. bring them across the finish line. Um, you know, and, and I will say years, if you're
1: talking to your. Sorry, talking to yeah. our peers, there does seem like there's yeah. a lot of activity happening, companies being prepped, kind of everything mm-hmm. happening, quality of earnings going on, et cetera, from, from our sell side quality of earnings, which we're seeing more often now. Um, mm-hmm. So the steps are all happening and people, people are saying they're busy. So I think the activity is going on in the background there. But again, when does it come out and when, you know, it's all about timing on it, right? And how your company is going to be perceived by based on what time you come out into the market.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And- and, uh, time, time will definitely tell, but, uh, yeah, even within, within our Alliance members, you know, everybody's busy. Um, I think we'd like to be probably closing more deals right now. Um, you know, things might be a little longer, than, be. a little longer than, you know, what we're used to. And, um, what do you, I mean, the longer the deal, you know, what do you, what do you equate that to? I mean, I think
1: caution and this kind of gets into what we're looking at for, um, Deal terms, which, again, we report on twice a year. So we did a deal terms report released the last cycle um, in early September. And um, it points to a very cautious market on the part of buyers. Um, You got rep and warranty insurance didn't move too much. I think that's pretty commonplace in the majority of transactions now. But you saw a 7% increase in the um, indemnification caps, uh, which, again, I think points to a more risk of conscious or risk averse market. Um, you're seeing a lot more um, alignment of interest in terms of seller rollover equity, which actually I think from a seller's perspective and, and from where you and your audience sits is a, is a great opportunity for a seller right now that because of the, the sort of challenges in the financing market, there's a lot of opportunity to um, to roll over capital to cover that part where the banks aren't really covering it. And um, that can be as lucrative if not more than the, the initial transaction. So if there's an interest on there, I think um, private equity is a lot more open to hearing about it right now, just because they're paying a lot for their, their funding on it. And also I think when there's questions out there and maybe two different perspectives on where the economy is going or the business's potential on it there, I think that, again, that alignment goes a long way to getting the transaction done and then can also kind of be a bridge between the seller expectation and the, the what the buyer can pay in this period of time. So. I would encourage, you know, you all to, to look deeper into that. I think it is something we've seen, um, rollover equity levels, particularly for larger transactions, but at all deal sizes, um, increasing. And we've seen, um, increased use of rollover equity for, for add-on acquisitions. So that's definitely something that's being considered again, just because I think it's an atypical market for debt. It's an atypical market, at least for the last 20 years. Um, and I think that's getting some more creativity there, and that can be a good boon for, you know, for a seller at this period of time. I don't think it's something that's going to last, and I think once we get a handle on, you know, where the rate's going to sit, um, that opportunity will dry up. But for right now, I think, um, you know, as as debt pricing goes up, there's an opportunity for, uh, for more rollover. And then um, the other one yeah. is seller financing. We're seeing more use of that, obviously, for the same reasons. Um, but, again, it's an opportunity to, um, you know, both to get the deal closed, but uh, but also to um, help the, the buyer avoid some of the onerous interest rates that are out there and they get some additional cash flow for the seller as well.
0: Yeah, it's funny, you you know, you, you roll over some equity and um, our founder, Scott Bushke, you know, Scott, um, him and I uh, share a wall right here. And, you know, when I hear him talking uh, a lot, he always references a business owner getting a second bite at the apple. So, uh, you know, you look exactly. at it that way too. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely got some optimism, you know, optimism there when you're rolling that equity to get that, you know, second bite of the apple down the road. So, um, you know, I well, think that's, that's something we're definitely seeing is just deal structure as to be more creative. You're all in and, the, and, uh, you know, that's one way to do it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And you're all in the, uh, the, the, the psychology, psychiatry, uh, business as much as the M&A <laughs> business, right? Like, so trying to exactly. explain why maybe what doesn't look like a good time actually could be a good time. I think is a value to, to a seller. And, um, and also that that I think there's a or at least from this, the uh, folks who sold businesses and, and those thinking about it, there's a level of finality that seems to be there. They're like, okay, I'm out and I'm done. In reality, that's very much not the case. You know, you have another few years anyway. Like we stay on with most of the companies, it's going to be a platform. A lot of times private equity is buying management, but it's not a a uh, open and shut case in terms of, okay, you got the keys now, my role is done. And I think that can be a nice transition also, right? Where you spend your life building something, being able to have a period of time when it's obviously in a transitional phase, but still being able to experience that phase and see it go on to its next milestone. I think that could be very rewarding for someone selling something that they've, again, spent so much time building.
0: Absolutely, no doubt. Um, So let's take a kind of change of gears here. And talk about your leverage reports. And you know, first off, yep. what are those leverage reports about? And then, in, you know, I'm looking at, you know, and, and you, you talked to our group recently too. And, um, you know, talking about, um, what are some highlights from the report that you guys, you know, are, are coming out with in Q3 on on debt? You referenced that before too.
1: Yeah. So um, the big one on it again is just uh, cost of capital. So. Um, Across all transactions, we tracked uh, senior debt reached 10.5% uh, um, interest rate, which is a percentage point increase from the second quarter. So we're continuing to see levels rise. Um, the report basically focuses on on um, cost of capital and then um, debt coverage on it as well. The um, So, yeah, the two big stories, you know, um, Senior debt again up a percentage point in the last quarter. That's at ten point five percent. The last time we saw senior debt at this level, I went back and tracked was in the first quarter of two thousand and seven. So very really atypical environment compared to what we've been in. We've been in a low cost of capital environment, and I think that's fostered a lot of what you've seen on the venture side. Um, a lot of what we see with altcoins that basically money was free, so you could do a lot of wacky things with it. It's not uh, it's not the case anymore. Um, it's definitely more expensive in terms of the, the third quarter leverage report. The bright spot I see on that, um, with the exception again of the smallest transactions, those value between 10 million to 25 million, we saw improvements in debt coverage for both senior debt and total debt across the board, which I think to me tells me that um, the broader debt markets are sort of digesting the situation. We had a obviously the second largest banking failure in March uh, in US history. I think that's a shock that we've all kind of forgotten about, but it definitely pushed banks into a hyper cautious mode. That's cut back on debt coverage. I think what you're seeing now, banks are still cautious. Um, they'll they'll talk about wanting to lend, but I think when it really comes down to it, you're going to find a very conservative audience uh, that you're speaking to. But I do think that the um, non bank lenders, the debt funds, have become a bit more aggressive around the opportunity that's here, and that it's one that um if they if they move on, you know, I think uh, Steve Schwartzman had said if you, if you can lend at a 13. percent interest rate business, why would you wanna do anything else? And that's basically where the debt funds are right now, right, that um, that there's a lot of opportunity there, there's not a lot of competition from the bank. So we're seeing them come in heavily. Uh, they're expensive, more expensive than what you're seeing, obviously, on senior debt for a traditional bank, but they are actually out and active in the market. Smaller transactions, we're seeing a lot more use of subordinated debt. Um, looking at transactions through 2023, um, uh, I believe sub debt on deals value between 10 million and 25 reached an average of 22%. And again, I think that's, um, a case where there just wasn't other capital available to finance those transactions. Most of the challenges of debt coverage, again, have been on those smaller transactions. So Mezzanine is seeing a real opportunity. Anecdotally, from talking to our contributors on the Mezzanine side, they're seeing the best credits, uh, as a quote, the best credits they've seen in the last 10 years. Um, so, you know again I think it, it, it carries over on the leverage side that creativity of getting transactions completed in the market uh more caution on the part of banks, drops in average for, um contribution for senior debt and then uh, more opportunity for rollover equity and seller financing as well
0: mm-hmm. um you at this really busy and cool uh table here you're in dim- indemnification <laughs> uh cap drill down yeah. um what is that what is that um what is that uh what is that all about? what's that graph telling us so the the indemnification cap drill down yeah that's the
1: it's the most complicated one we have on that page, but it basically looks at uh indemnification cap levels for deals that have a seller financing or earn out, uh without a seller financing or earnout with revenue uh, there is an alignment of interest with additional seller rollover or seller financing. Um, or when there's, uh, not rep and warranty insurance is where you see the other big difference. The, the, I mean, the main thing on it, we also see is that these things generally, um, tend to bring greater value to the transaction. If you have rep and warranty insurance, generally a higher quality asset, um, and that's going to be, uh, reflected in purchase price. And then likewise, you're generally going to see with the rollover equity or the, or the, um, uh, earnings on there generally, a not a higher price on it, just, um, based upon what the seller getting back you know, in totality on the transaction. Um, it's a busy, it's a busy chart and it's definitely uh, one that merits some explanation on it. But I think, you know, that whole report as mentioned before for deal terms points to a, a risk conscious environment. And I see that, uh, staying that way for the foreseeable future. And I, and again, I think that that's more broader issues, um, across the economy as a whole. So workforce, um, you know um supply chain and then um and then global global conflict and I think also you know um in addition to the you know the two, two ongoing conflicts i think um situations with China and in the uh south china sea has gotten uh, a little bit tenuous as well there's um some economic challenges going on with china so that's i think something else that we need to factor factor in on the possible risk side um but Overall, I think middle market is uh more buoyant than the public markets. Generally, tends to whipsaw around less, and that's definitely being reflected in the valuation info that we're showing here. There hasn't been the sort of um, there's been a drop in valuations, but definitely nowhere near what we've seen in the public markets over the last couple of years. Uh, so I see more buoyancy here, uh, and I think it's a matter of figuring out kind of how to deal with interest rates. And I think we're not too far away from solutions on that, or at least getting more comfortable with it, and then. The, the broader macro issues, I think, you know, we all need to figure out how to deal with employment and supply chain, uh, but those have improved a bit, I think.
0: Yeah, that was going to be uh, my next question when your main two to three takeaways from the report. So I appreciate you laying that out for us. Um, yeah. So then with that being said, you know, what are you seeing? You kind of hit on it before, but what are you seeing for the early part of 2024 that hopefully can give us um, some confidence that we're turning in the right direction and and what can we expect and anything yeah. that you're seeing that can help us, you know, do uh the best by our clients this first part of the next year?
1: Yeah, I think and again, you're anyone's a fool to try and time the market or say they know when it's gonna happen, but I I would say I look at it as signs or triggers that are there. I think um the slowdown in uh rising interest rates is big and I think we're in that position now. Um I think and again that People can get comfortable when something's a fixed point. They have uh, more difficulty getting comfortable when it's a moving mark. And I think we've had a moving mark for rates um, for the last little while. Uh, So some stability there. I do think, again, it's on larger transactions, but it will migrate down market. The improvements on um, debt coverage and alternative lending groups um, becoming more entrenched in the market. I think there's gonna be more activity with that. I know there had been talk among some of the larger mega buyout platforms uh kkr carlisle um apollo BlackRock, or blackstone that have insurance holdings potentially looking to funnel some of that money into the mid market so you don't run into a situation where a bank has a capital call or has a run on its markets you have um locked up financing from the middle market i think at least one or two of those should come to fruition that'll provide more liquidity out there and i think um again you know there's If you look at the return you're getting on for finance and mid-market deals, when you take the risk aspect out, it's quite quite juicy, right? So someone's going to come in and take advantage of that. Um, So I think that's a positive sign on it, the stability in interest rates, improvements in debt coverage, improvements in pricing overall, and more of a uh, balanced market in terms of high-value companies and lower-value companies versus everything kind of being dragged down. All signs pointing to a better 2024 than 2023. Does that happen first quarter? Probably not second quarter hopefully uh but might be might be waiting doing a waiting game next year also but i think the signs are there to an improving market we just need to recognize that and increase the level of activity
0: yeah absolutely well, i appreciate your uh your prediction we won't hold you to it but i think there's uh yeah there's some, there's some cautious optimism <laughs> if you have again, think... you, probably, you totally can but <laughs> <laughs> but i do think there's some caution cautious optimism there and um, you know, uh, here's to a better, you know, hopefully a better 2024 as we, we round out this year and get some deals done and see some more transactions happen. And, and, um, Bob, I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, a wealth of information. I really appreciate that. Um, your report's coming out soon. Um, but like I said, by the time this episode airs, it probably will be out. Um, and so check out GF data. Um, where can everybody find more information about you and the, and the work yep. you guys are doing?
1: Yeah, so um, gfdata.com is the first place to go. If you're interested in finding more about the product, there's some info there. We have some sample reports you can take a look at, and then you can also schedule a demo there so we can go through and show you kind of everything we have. Um, I also like to be very hands-on, so if anyone in your audience has a question, it's it's bd at uh, bd at gfdata.com. Feel free to shoot me a note. Um, I generally you know, get back to everyone who does and uh like I said, I like I, I love the data, I love the service you're providing, I love to talk to customers and prospective customers, so please definitely reach out if you're interested. And thanks very much for having me on, Nick. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Yeah, Bob, I appreciate you joining us and I will definitely um give uh give GF data a plug. We we use them as an alliance and it's been phenomenal. Um the data's been great and um one of our go to resources when we're looking at the data and so appreciate all the work you and your team do, Bob, and and, and being uh, uh, working with us and, and our group. Um, that's all we have for today. Um, thank you again, Bob, for joining us. Please uh, go ahead and like, share, and comment this uh, this episode. It'll help Bob out. It'll help myself out getting this information out to more people in our industry. Um, spread this information. That'll be greatly appreciated. And I think we'll help everybody out. Um, all of our episodes can be uh, viewed at cornerstoneia.com slash podcast. Um, we, we do new episodes weekly, typically launch them every Tuesday morning. So definitely keep a lookout for new episodes coming out regularly. Um, and until next time.